good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. There are few people in Michigan who have shaped state government more than Frank Kelly did. He absolutely defined the role of state attorney general during his 37 years in that office. He was a Democrat, but the respect given to his name is absolutely universal in this state. No serious person denies his impact, his competence, or his dedication to Michigan and the role that government can play in making people's lives better. And voters entrusted him in that role over and over and over, handing him overwhelming re-election wins that seem almost imaginable in state politics today. He was the longest-serving attorney general in American history. In one of his last interviews, he joked that he thought about running again when he would turn 100. Well, I always said I'd run when I was 100, but I, I, as I approach 100, I don't think I will. <laughs> Sadly, Frank Kelly never made it to 100. He passed away over the weekend at age 96, a very, very long life, very, very well lived. His family said he died of natural causes. Here to talk about the life and legacy of Michigan's eternal general are two people who knew him really well. Attorney General Dana Nessel, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. It's a real privilege and honor to talk about the legacy of Frank Kelly. Yeah. Uh, also with us is Rick Pluta, Senior State Capital Correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Rick, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hello, Stephen. Hello, AG. Hi, Rick. So, so Dana, I'm going to start with you. Um, as I said in the open, you know, Frank Kelly defined the role of attorney general. But f- for me, the thing that always stood out about his his role in that office, the things that he did, was the way he leveraged the power of that office uh, on behalf of the rights of individuals in Michigan, uh, particularly in the consumer context, but also in, in many others. Uh, Frank Kelly was about the individual. He was about the little guy, quote unquote, in a way that many, many other politicians, I think, uh, fall short on. Yeah, well, I think that's why the the office has become known as you know the people's lawyer. And that's why when people say, hey, you know, everyone who can't afford uh, an attorney in the state of Michigan, the attorney general is your attorney. Uh, the attorney general is supposed to be representing you and your interests. Uh, but what's interesting is not just the way that Frank Kelly transformed the office here in the state of Michigan. He transformed the offices of attorney general all across the United States. And in fact, when I go to conferences, or I should say when I used to go to conferences, <laughs> uh, I do still do virtually, uh, that are held by the, the National Association of Attorneys General, there are many awards that are named after Frank Kelly, and he is known uh, all across the nation, and he, the things that he did in office are seen as a model still to, today for uh, AGs all across the United States. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rick, uh, in, we heard a clip of your last interview with Frank Kelly in the intro. He also talked about how he expanded the role of attorney general to be an independent office, not just acting as the attorney for the governor and the legislature, but filling, filing its own lawsuits on behalf of 
people here in Michigan. Let's listen to another clip of that. Then it was a bigger job than just taking care of the governor and the legislature. And once the treasurer came out of the box and sat representing the public by me and a couple others, then the others started ch- chiming in. And even the more conservative attorney realized that there was it was the right thing to do. Uh, Rick, you knew uh, Frank Kelly and covered him. Uh, talk about that that activist kind of role he brought to the job. Yeah, it, it wasn't Frank Kelly, and he would say so. Although he was the leader of that generation of attorneys general who said exactly that, that we're not just here to represent the legislature, we're not just here to represent the governor, but we have our own independent function, and then expanded, uh, you know, expanded the role. And I should say, not just in filing cases, although that was the primary route, but also things like, and sometimes just uh, public information campaigns, which is a tradition that's being carried on to this day by uh, Dana Nessel, just letting people know what their um, rights are. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind is the uh, the uh, supermarket scanner checks mm-hmm. and making sure that they're accurate and uh, people are getting charged what they're supposed to be charged. I mean, it's it may seem small, and maybe today it is small by comparison, but it was just you know one of those ways that uh, Frank Kelly, in ways that were both large and small, expanded the uh, uh, the role of the attorney general's office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dana, Frank essentially created the AG's role in environmental protection, uh, and you've said this legacy on environmental issues is still playing out right now with a lawsuit over. Uh, over PFAS chemicals. What was his role in the, in the environmental space specifically? Well, he had so many novel cases that he brought in order to protect individuals who had been armed by, harmed by pollutants, and whether those were in the air or in the water um, or just, you know, damage to our natural resources in general. He was very involved in that space. But uh, And I actually I spoke to him about my Line 5 lawsuit, actually, and he said that, you know, largely, uh, obviously, Line 5 has been in existence since uh, the 1950s. It was unknown to him, but he supported that lawsuit. And it, it's, here's what the irony to me, and I don't mean to make this controversial, but many of the things that he was a champion for, as we talked about consumer protection, he was an advocate for ratepayers in utility cases. Mm-hmm. He intervened in cases like that all the time. Uh, he was a civil rights champion for minority communities. Um, he was a staunch advocate for voting rights. When I, when I look at how he's talked about, and, and ironically, I was doing interviews on Saturday uh, when you talked about sort of public service announcement types of work. I was doing public service announcements for, I was talking to media all over the state about COVID-19 vaccine scams. Uh, and I was interrupted by the news that Frank Kelly had died. So I started talking a little bit more about his legacy during those interviews. And when I watched those interviews later, they were sort of intermeshed with many Republican state legislators, um, you know, senators, representatives who are currently in office, who are very laudatory about his work. And I couldn't help but think, you know, you, you, it's commonly known now that he was, you know, a, a hero to us in the state of Michigan, the way that we perceive him. Mm-hmm. But if he was in office now, 
I think those same Republicans would be hating his initiatives and his policies yeah. because he was a, a staunch. I mean, he wouldn't have called himself a progressive because we didn't use that phrase then. But he was very, um, you know, he was he was a liberal. He believed in advocating for the little guy. And he was really tough on big corporate America when they were when their policies were harmful to everyday Michiganders. Yeah. And I don't know that he'd be very popular nowadays. Well, not that the way he was then. I, I think that's absolutely I think that's absolutely right. And I think you you can also look at the two attorneys general who were elected after him who were Republicans and the way that they approached the work, um, I, I think to see how differently uh, that side of the aisle Sees sees the role. Uh, Bill Schuette and Mike Cox were were pretty stark contrast to to Frank Kelly, weren't they, Dana? Well, let me let me say this. So uh, when I inherited the office, certainly we still had a big um, consumer protection division that exists today, and still a, a large environmental um, division of the office. But when I got there, for instance, yes, there's a civil, there was a civil rights division. There was one person in it. One person, in fact, because there was one person, they, they, you know, the the individual in the Civil Rights Commission split a secretary with uh, our driving license rights restoration <laughs> uh, attorneys, where there were two of those, but only one civil rights attorney. And in fact, they never filed anything proactively. They only defended the Civil Rights Commission when they were sued. In the environmental space, they no longer had even a single prosecutor in that division to prosecute violations uh, of, of environmental laws. So yes, there were still these divisions that, that they had maintained. It's just they didn't really do any work anymore. And that was a, that's a far cry from how the office was operated under Frank Kelly. And, and I, what I learned also is that there were a lot of cases that I think some of the people who Frank Kelly hired who were still in the office would have liked to have brought, but were told they could not by the seventh floor, which is where the executive at least used to, um, hold their offices. Uh, so I think, you know, again, you know, he, he's still somebody that people uniformly recognize as being a champion uh, in that space. But if he were around today, I think he'd be having all the same battles with the Republicans that I currently have yeah. because he would be doing many of the same things. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Attorney General Dana Nessel and Rick Pluta, Senior Capital Correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network, about... The death of Frank Kelly, uh, the 37-year attorney general here in the state of Michigan, really the prototype uh, of for that office, the person who has really defined uh, the work in that office for a really long time, not just here in the state of Michigan, uh, but, but all over the country. Uh, <clears throat> Rick, uh, <clears throat> Kelly also talked in that last interview about the growing partisanship in state government and beyond, and how he blamed money in politics and how he actually felt regret about it late in his life. Let's first listen to that clip. We lost the nonpartisanship, and we became very partisan. And that, that's, that's a big regret. I wish I could go back and change it, but it's a problem that the National Party had. I don't think democracy, as we know it in America, can continue if we have this extreme uh, uh, dislike for each other at a political level. 
so so there you know he's lamenting that that uh, things have kind of come apart and certainly when when he was in office things were less partisan than they are now they certainly were not nonpartisan but but you know as Dana points out you 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 have a lot of republicans even now lauding Frank Kelly and talking about the importance uh, of of his legacy it's it's an interesting position for him to occupy given that so much of what he did was so progressive and yet uh, he, he occupied a, a space that, that drew praise from both sides of the aisle. I, I think it's important to remember that when he initiated um, his consumer protection division, he was called a communist for having done that. Hmm. Now everyone looks back later and says, you know, how marvelous that was. And I certainly agree uh, about its importance. Um, but you know, I think there's been a little bit of revisionist history in terms of Frank Kelly, in part because after his first election, he was never seriously challenged. He was very popular with the people that he served. He won by overwhelming margins, and there really wasn't anything in it for Republicans to challenge someone who was as popular as he was. Mm. Uh, Rick, uh, what, what's your sense of uh, the space that Frank Kelly occupied and, and what that space would look like in Lansing today? You know, this uh, segment, I believe, is about 20 minutes long. And if you had uh, called in Frank Kelly, uh, who uh, was very proud of his Irish heritage, would say 20 minutes, it takes an Irishman that long just to clear his throat. <laughs> um, so, I mean, he loved just the celebrity that went along with being a uh, statewide elected official, but used it to particular effect. And we should also point out, though, also that the times were very, very different than by, I, I think, most measures that you could develop the most liberal Republicans serving in Lansing and serving in Congress, for that matter, were more liberal than the most conservative Democrats. Mm. And so there was just a lot of room for crossover and cooperation that Frank Kelly and the late Governor Bill Milliken probably agreed upon as much as they disagreed upon, um, especially when it came to things like... um, civil rights and environmental protection. It was just, you know, not just the nature of the people, but the nature of the times that they were in that made them possible. And they both capitalized on that particular fact. Um, in the terms of the, the development of the civil rights division, the consumer protection division, the environmental protection division, that, you know, you can complain, as the AG just did, that those divisions have been diminished in um, their scope and their importance, depending on the AG who's holding the office. But the fact is those divisions exist because Frank Kelly and attorneys general liked him would start out not by creating the division. They started out by filing cases, filing cases, cases, filing cases. And then when you had enough cases in a particular arena, you would create a division to handle them. And that's, space continued to exist regardless of who the attorney general is, because no attorney general, no matter what position, you know, what what thoughts they had on them, would dare to eliminate them. So, you know, it's always there and it always remains, obviously, though, at the discretion of the attorney general to decide how much they're going to utilize that division. Mm. Uh, Yeah, go ahead, Dana. Well, I was going to say, that's why I think in a way um, I'm a bit jealous, you know, he had 37 and a half years to... <laughs> you can only to, have eight. Work. Right, you know, and I might not have that. Yeah, right. And, and I recognize now for some of these lawsuits, you know, these, 
these outlive your term. Uh, many of these, uh, the most important lawsuits, and I will say the tobacco litigation, of course, was maybe the most monumental litigation um, that was handled by uh, the Kelly administration, mm-hmm. which took the course over the, you know, many, many years. For me, that litigation would be the opioid litigation. And I was actually, I, I, was, I was in Lansing yesterday with a number of my staffers working on, um, hopefully, potential settlements. And um, I was trying my best to sort of channel my inner Frank Kelly because we had some very convoluted issues arise. And I, I, I understood the gravity of the fact that Frank Kelly was in this exact same situation with the tobacco litigation. And I kept thinking, you know, what would Frank Kelly do if he was here now trying to resolve these same issues? Uh, but, the, but the fact is, you know, much of the litigation takes place over many, many years. And it, it feels like there's not enough time. I, I, I so badly want to try my hardest to emulate Frank Kelly in every way that I can, but I recognize there's just simply not enough time for me to do that. <laughs> and, that's why, and, and that's why he was so effective in part, because he had all those years to put together um, the, the massive litigation that he did and, and also to restructure the department so significantly uh, and, you know, in part, that is what made him so effective and because he had the time to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a commentary on yeah. uh, the state of our politics, given term limits, which now affect uh, all of our statewide uh, offices and, and the legislature. Um, Although he did still have one term left. Yeah, that's right. He did. That's right. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll also, put, you know, you talk about the longevity of these things and... He might have found a workaround on this, but Frank Kelly, you know, in this particular interview, said that Frank Kelly could not have been the Frank Kelly that Frank Kelly was <laughs> without that longevity in office. And um, really, in some respects, over time to uh, play a long game on this. And sometimes the game was even um, longer. I mean, do you remember the Milliken v. Bradley case? That was sure. the school busing case in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Where um, Frank Kelly argued on, um, you know, on the state's behalf against the um, efforts to bus kids from Detroit to the um, suburbs suburbs, as a desegregation plan. Well, the current attorney general um, just settled the right to read case, which is basically the progeny of Mm. uh, that particular controversy. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really great. That's a really great point. Okay, I know both of you uh, have other obligations you need to meet, but uh, I'm really great uh, grateful for both of you being here today. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel and Rick Pluta of the Michigan Public Radio Network. Uh, Thanks for having us, Stephen. Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to commemorate International Women's Day with a writer who points out that the mainstream feminist movement has failed women of color in some pretty big ways throughout history. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.